Modern Pods acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to all First Nations people and acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Modern Pods podcast, where we discuss the future of housing, sustainability and innovation in Australia. Each episode, we'll be chatting with thought leaders, industry experts and all kinds of interesting people who are committed to shaping a better Australia for generations to come. I'm Ben Whitmore from Modern Pods, filling in again today for our host, Dominique Loudon. And today I'm joined by our very own design manager, Josh Weldon, who you may remember from an earlier episode of the podcast. Hello, Josh. Hello. Bonnie Herring is the Director of Sustainability with Australia's most awarded sustainable architecture firm, Breathe. Based in Melbourne, Breathe are a certified B Corp that places a focus on maximising positive impact in every project they undertake. Welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. Thank you for having me, Ben and Josh, and for being a champion for good design and a sustainable built environment. Awesome. So we're excited to have a chat with you about design and sustainability, but before we get too far into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to your current role as the Director of Sustainability? Uh, I'm an architect with a particular passion for positive um, built environments that respond to the climate and biodiversity crisis. I've had the opportunity to work on some industry-leading projects such as the Commons Apartments and a a cluster of later Nightingale developments, including Nightingale One, Nightingale Anstey and Nightingale Village, uh, a car park conversion called QV8 um, and an adaptive reuse, zero waste and all electric Paramount House Hotel in Surrey Hills. Um, And yeah, a couple of years ago, we created the Director of Sustainability role to develop our position and our knowledge basis, improve our projects and to champion and practice values also to establish and deliver on our sustainability action plan. And so what does that role entail? Advocacy is certainly a part of it and perhaps why I'm particularly speaking with you both today. Um, But in the studio, it's about codifying our existing um, and developing systems and knowledge to decarbonise our built environment. It involves um, setting design aspirations and sustainable design review as part of every project development and um, sort of quality assurance processes. Uh, Some days it's about material building systems and structural research or thermal um, or life cycle modelling and testing uh, or even sustainability certification review and implementation. Um, So do you want to tell us a little bit more about the type of projects that Breathe works on? Uh, All kinds of projects. Uh, We do um, housing projects, including single homes. We do deliberative market and um, build-to-rent apartment buildings, as well as master-planned communities more recently. I mentioned Paramount House Hotel before, um, but we've also undertaken workplace, hospitality and retail projects for clients like ANZ, Slack um, and Seven Seeds. Uh, More recently, we've finished a waste transfer station out in Seymour, uh, and we also work uh, with councils at times for feasibility and strategic policy testing. Um, We're also really proud of the work we've done with clients such as Honour Coffee to champion the electrification of hospitality at their Brunswick Cafe, and also um, the electrification of Four Pillars Gin Distillery in Hillsville. So you guys are a certified B Corp. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what that means and, and why it's important, I guess, especially for people that might not be completely aware of what a certified B Corp is? Uh, a certified B Corp is a company that balances profit and purpose. B Corps are 
profit for purpose companies that use the power of business to build a more inclusive and sustainable economy. Um, it's about meeting the highest ver verified standards of social, environmental performance, uh, transparency and accountability. Um, so we believe that businesses need to play their role in driving societal environmental change. And the requirements of a B Corp cement that into a measurable certification. We believe that sustainable business is better business and that we can use our business as a force for good. So how do your clients respond to your, you know, you mentioned that it's business for purpose. Um, how do they respond to that? Are they equally as passionate about the purpose as Breathe? We have a variety of clients in various sectors. Some of them approach sustainability as a core part of their business, for example, as part of their ESG objectives. Particularly larger clients have really or can have a really strong approach to these things, um, which is really great because we can sort of exercise that muscle and um, explore new innovations to expand our knowledge in those ways. Um, but we also work with um single homeowners that are looking to just live more sustainably. So they don't necessarily respond to those kind of corporate measures of those kinds of um, the corporate measures of our societal impact, but they do want to they do want to align with businesses that are thinking more sustainably about their lifestyle. How um and how do you work with them? I mean, is it the same principles that are transferred through? Like, is it the same approach you take with, let's say, like a commercial project? Can you put that and take that into a residential application pretty easily? Or is it a different consideration when it comes to materiality of the projects? Like, what's the approach with the, like, let's say the residential clients, the one-offs? At the moment, I think ever since the IPCC reports and our understanding has built out the knowledge that the building industry contributes to, you know, 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions and the majority of that is about operational carbon. So regardless of topology, client scale, whatever, we're championing to electrify everything. So in that way, we're definitely approaching the project in that with that same principle. But the way that you the way that you deploy that design principle will differ. Yeah, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. So you're leaning into more, I suppose, passive design at that point, really, and looking at what you can do. Is that sort of a, a big consideration when it comes to those smaller scale um, design projects? Does that play a big part in it? Or when you say electrifying, like, are you saying like trying to get them off the grid, trying to get them running on solar, like trying to get their, I suppose, their consumption from mains power and, and services? Are you trying to reduce that? Is that, is that what you're looking for? Or yeah, so the operational carbon um, piece is about how green our grid is. And until the grid is fully decarbonised, we need to enable our users, our building owners, to operate in a way that will be able to exploit that greener grid. And the way that we do that is unplugging from gas. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we no longer provide. Um, a design solution that involves um, gas-boosted heating, hot water uh, or cooking and instead flip that and try and work out a way that we can deliver fully electric hot water, heating and cooking. And what it turns out to deliver is actually something that's a whole lot more efficient, cleaner, healthier 
and better for the environment. It's really good. It's, it's really good. And I suppose a big part of sustainability isn't just environmental. Um, you've got to look at obviously running costs of the building. Do you, do you think that translates into, I suppose, more efficient running costs of the buildings for the clients short term and long term? Is it something that they'll realise straight away or is it something that they sort of you stack up over a five or 10 year period and look at it and, and you could say like, look, it's, um, you know, it's uh, reduced the, the consumption or it's, let's say it's zeroed out its, its own usage over a period. Does it work that way or? It might depend if you, uh, it might depend on how you're interacting with the building. If, I mean, the building owner, if they're an occupier, will yield those rewards sure. of that investment sooner rather than later. But then they're also thinking about the long-term payback for greater investments like solar. And there are some clever ways that you can do that to finance it if you don't have a high budget. But certainly you'd want to realise the benefits just in terms of your internal um, environment quality. So we're trying to create places that are more comfortable so you don't need to use as much electricity to heat and cool it um, so that it's a cleaner air in, and a healthier environment to be inside of. Yeah, it's a good approach. Something like 90% of the day, you know, 90% of our time spent indoors. So yeah. we need to be occupying spaces that are going to be contributing to our wellness yeah. rather than the opposite. Yeah, I agree with you for wholeheartedly on that one. And I, I suppose it's it's one of the things from a, I suppose, a design background, you'll always look at things, um, you'll look at things like that, like how can we make this the best space for the person as opposed to just taking it off the plan and, and, and plonking it like, you know, what can we do for the space? What can we do for the orientation and, you know, result in a better uh, better environment for the client? So, no, it's great. Really good approach. Um so, Bonnie, are most of your clients based in Melbourne? It is spread out. Um, we've been working more solidly in this area for some time, in Brunswick specifically, with a lot of our multi-residential projects. Um, but that's since expanded as far as Western Australia. We received a planning permit only yesterday for a new apartment building over in Perth. So, it you know, we also work in Brisbane and uh, in Sydney, um, and we've, we're exploring some projects down in um, Tasmania as well. So it's expanded across Australia. We've only had a, a few forays internationally, but you know we've got plenty of time. Mm. Yeah, awesome. And does that present challenges for you, particularly down south where the climate swings very drastically between summer and winter? Does that present challenges in regards to the heating and cooling and general energy efficiency of these buildings? Yeah, we're most familiar with working in a temperate climate where we're, you know, in a heating climate. So that's where most of our loading is. But as we move north, it does change um, to be more about the cooling, cooling climates where that's where our majority of energy is used. So we change up how we approach that sort of passive solution, um, focusing more on shading and things in different ways. But certainly as the climate changes, we're going to be thinking about that as a more resilient design approach um, even further south. So I guess as a director of sustainability, you're obviously a champion for the environment within your organisation and outside of the organisation, but the people that are working within your organisation, are they equally as passionate about the environment and is that kind of why they choose to work with you because of that passion? Absolutely. I'd say we're all um, 
I'd say we're all on message and all just really eager to have a positive impact on our built environment and our general community. So I'd say a strong yes. Do you find that a lot mm. of the, um, the, a lot of your clients, whether they are, you know, in a residential application or um, multi-residential or, or, or commercial, do you find a lot of the approach for sustainability is built around environment, the, like the environmental side, or do you think it's a lot of it is like financial driven or, and again, that's a very broad question and it depends on its application, mm-hmm. but have you sort of, uh, you know, I mean, you, you work with a lot of, a lot of people in, in this realm, um, is a lot of it environmental? Do you think that's the main driver at the moment? Interestingly, that would have been where our focus kind of commenced, mm-hmm. I'd say, as a practice. Yep. Certainly we aspire to, you know, triple bottom line um, design delivery in terms of sustainability, something that's social, environmental and financially sustainable. A lot of our work initially focused on that environmental sustainability piece, so trying really hard to do with more with less, trying to embrace the imperfections of natural materials, um, trying to crack open the pavement and connect with nature. So I'd say that, yes, it has, I think that's the gateway, isn't it? And then once you get more of a literacy around that, you know, we've tried to, with our work um, on the, on Nightingale Housing, um, when we were first establishing the design principles behind that, it centred on that, but it then tried to move and tweak the lever on that financial sustainability piece mm-hmm. where we could really make savings that would actually facilitate um, more affordable housing, um, lower running costs, where we could prioritise those environmental sustainability initiatives to benefit both the financial and even the social aspects of it. Yeah, good. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's really interesting. Like it, cause again, it is sort of like a, a very broad topic. Like we were saying, you can look at it mm-hmm. and some people look at it purely from an environmental point of view. And some people look at it purely from a business point of view. And it, it doesn't always have to be, um, you know, around money. It can be around, you know, is the product going to be um, suitable for us as a business to continue to, to build like that or, or, or whatnot. So no, it's good to hear that people are starting off in the environmental foot and that's, like you said, like the, the, the foot in the door sort of thing. Um, it's starting to get a bit more balanced, I think, as mm. well with companies um, developing their ESG strategies because mm. that's where they're more commercially focused but trying to weigh it up and also plan it out in a more staged sophisticated manner where you can actually become more innovative across the other pillars and I'd say that the cultural sustainability aspect is gaining more weight and people are starting to approach and test the waters on what we can do within our design toolkit. Mm, Excellent that's really good. So what is sustainability to you? I mean I do think that sustainability is that umbrella term it's about doing less bad and sustaining a system which in this current climate isn't going to help us swing back to meet our global climate targets. So for me, it's actually about innovation. It's a moving target because it really is about knowledge knowledge acquisition and acting and, and progress, not perfection, across as you say, a whole host of pillars, whether it be financial, social, environmental, cultural sustainability. So it is a quite a broad field, um, but one that we just have to keep trying at improving mm. on. Yeah, <laughs> no, great answer. Great answer. Yeah, that was really good. 
So you just spoke then to innovation. Um, is there anyone, particularly another country, another sort of culture that you that you look to for inspiration um, in, in bringing some of that back to Australia? At the moment, I'm involved with the Institute of Architects National Residential Sustainability Advisory Group. And on that, we have an embodied carbon working group. And so I'm really passionate about unpacking the piece that is um, life cycle analysis and embodied carbon. And so I've been looking at what's happening over England and Europe and the US, who are really ahead of the game in terms of setting carbon and building performance targets to meet or to chart the course um, for a zero carbon future. So that's really exciting for me. But of course, there are many other designers that are doing some great things. Um, it's a constant challenge to follow them all. Um, but yeah, everyone's approaching it differently. And I guess that's the exciting thing is that you have uh, other designers around the world really kind of driving that um, innovative change around the world. Um, what do you see as being the future for new building projects and developments in Australia? Tricky question. I'd like then. to think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big one, I suppose. Um, I'd like to think that it in, is about improving our literacy in design around resilience, about regenerative and circular design principles and how that's embedded in our in our projects because that literacy is a, a huge um, growth curve um, for the whole industry um, and our consumers and clients. So the change in the industry I'd like to see centering on that um, and I think necessarily it's got to look different. So I don't know what it looks like yet um, but the need for change is so significant that it can't possibly stay the same. Absolutely. And you, you touched on resilience there, which I think is a, a huge part of where we're at in the world and with us up here in Queensland, obviously we're quite familiar with the need for buildings to be more resilient, um, historically more so in far north Queensland, but I think as the years go on we're, we're feeling that a lot further south Um Josh, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit to, you know, resilience and where you fit with that. Yeah. I mean, without turning it into a modern pods pitch, I mean, I suppose, you know, we look at, like I was saying earlier on the sustainability front, you know, that really ties into what we try and achieve here. Um, you know, uh, to, to build a building that you can place in far north Queensland or you could put it in a truck and move it down to your climate down south and, and, you know, it will survive both and it will perform well. Um, you know, there are restraints in that, of course. Um, but I, I suppose if I'm to talk to anything, it's, it's that, you know, I think that the values that you're putting across here, we, you know, we align with really well. We think it's a really good initiative and, um, we're, we're sort of hoping and waiting and, and just watching to see what happens with, um, you know, states and even at a national level with adoption of, of new rules. We've seen um, small, small wins like in Victoria, I think recently there's been something published about um, the gas, so no more gas cooktops and things like that. So from our end, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see those baby steps because those small steps, you know, they, they eventuate to, to large leaps. So I think it's a time thing. Um, do you, have you got any sort of any more info or any advice on, on that, that front? Like how long you think this will take to start, you know, trickling down into things like the National Construction Code? I know we've had a little bump with the Nathers 7 Star and the new one, but 
Um, have you got any thoughts on that? I'd definitely like to see the adoption of the Seven Star more broadly across Australia um, for it to only be mobilised in a couple of smaller states is um, is pretty disappointing, I'd have to say, particularly for the wellbeing, health and um, affordability ongoingly for the people living in those homes. Um but yeah, there is definitely some movement in and some great case studies elsewhere. Uh, for example, I recently uh, learnt that the city of Vincent in Western Australia, for example, have for the last almost decade um, adopted a life cycle analysis requirement for every house development um, being lodged for a planning permit, which is a huge step in the right direction um, and a great a great case study for adoption across all councils in Australia because, you know, we do need that kind of uh, regulatory push to help that industry upskill, improve literacy and also to enable us to get paid for doing that um, and to motivate client um, and consumer awareness and appreciation of those aspects. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to look that up. That sounds really good. I, I think it's an approach that needs to be taken. Um, when you look at mass building in Australia, um, it's a very off-the-plan approach and, you know, you, you'll be aware of, uh, you know, heating and cooling loads on homes that have massive brick facades on Western Orientation. Well, up here, it's the Western Orientation we've got to watch for. Um, so, no, it's good to see that it is being adopted at a small scale, um, but uh, it's a it's a wait-and-see thing. I do have a couple more questions for you. Um, they are relatively free questions. So we deal a lot with uh, holiday park and resorts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we deal a lot with owners, operators, and um, the organisations that, that oversee the whole thing. So from a sustainability point of view, whether it be environmental law or um, financial law, whatever it may be, have you got any tips for, for, let's say, like a resort park owner that's considering building something cabins um what tips can you give them you know to to get them on the right the right track you know maybe like a baby step something they can start out with and and, and look for when they're vetting out suppliers or, or or going through the design process with an architect what should they be looking for what's interesting about those types of projects is the scale of impact and opportunity in terms of the environment often they're in sensitive locations where there, you know, we're working on a few at the moment where, you know, there might be in riparian landscapes, for example, you know, along watercourses, there may be cultural sensitivities and there may be huge opportunities in terms of landscape that needs to be weighed up against bushfire attack levels, for example. So the buildings that we're, we're placing in this landscape really do need to be incredibly well considered as to their siting, of course. Um, but the opportunity, of course, when you're arriving and visiting these completed projects is that immersion in nature and is that appreciation of it it's the you know full immersive experience what that does for their you know the visitors well-being their um, education in terms of possible lifestyle changes and even just for the period that they're there so it's a chance to inspire people to to live more sustainably and in communion with nature so that the dwellings, cabins, buildings on those sites need to be appropriately sensitive, whether it be in the material selection, 
you know, we're pretty rigorous in the materials we choose um, and their operations, of course. So same answer as before, electrify everything. Yeah. In addition to electrifying everything, select green power because that's about decarbonising the grid. You know, once we're net zero ready with fully electrified infrastructure, that's great, but we do need to invest in changing our Australia's grid. Um, but beyond that, of course, we love to prioritise carbon neutral materials or opt-in material, opt-in products that enable, you know, the materials to come to site already with their carbon paid, you know, their embodied carbon. So I guess there are a few ideas, but yeah. there's plenty, plenty more. There's plenty you can do. Um, and you, you mentioned materials. Um, let's talk materiality for a little bit. So think about these same projects, these smaller projects. What would be your go-to? Like if you were to look at something and say that really hits the mark, what, what sort of materials would you be looking for? As I mentioned, we are looking to decarbonise the built environment. So that means low carbon materials, um, things that are low carbon across the full life cycle. Um, so, of course, a low carbon material could be you know, cardboard, there's some pretty incredible, we've done a fit out full of cardboard a couple of times, actually. Um, but, you know, in terms of its longevity over time, we need to think about things that are more robust, that don't require as much maintenance, or that can be disassembled and reused. So it's a, it's a thoughtful process. We've actually developed our own uh, material selection guidelines that we've published on our websites, free for download. Um, but it's a particular particularly great way of collating our research around our ethical material selection and what to look out for. Yeah, great. It'd be really, it'd be worthwhile having a look at that. Um, we'll, we'll jump onto that, download it and have a good read through. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of great points we can take from that. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, our, our pleasure. I think we're all better if we can share the research that we've um developed and certainly I'd invite comment you know we'd love to do better as I'm sure most of the people listening here um, would like to also so please um, provide feedback help us build and co-create a better world. Well thank you very much for your time today Bonnie if someone wants to learn more about what you guys are doing where should they go? Uh, to our website Instagram or LinkedIn www.breathe.com.au Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review our podcast on your favourite podcast platform. You can also follow Modern Pods on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube for more content and updates. I'm Ben Whitmore. Thanks for listening. <laughs>